Welcome, my creepy cats and groovy ghoulies. It's time for the Paranormal 60 News, Conspiracies, Ghosts, UFO Crash Edition. Let the show begin. You know you're in for a rough night when you can't even get through the headline introducing the show without stumbling and mumbling through it. But we are here. We are hot on the heels of Halloween and uh, just past Deo de las Muertas. My Spanish is no bueno. I apologize for that up front. So uh, the colonel has a night off. He's out in Europe. He has a good reason for not being here. Greg and Eric, however, are at a paranormal conference in Texas and they... They got in. We were all queued up five minutes before show. I guess a storm hit. They've been battling storms out there in Texas all day, and uh, we lost connection. So I see that one of them has reconnected in the green room. The paranormal detective seems to have crawled out of the grave to make his way here with us this evening. Greg, good evening. Well, hello, Dave. Uh, yeah, it's so, uh, um it's crazy. Uh, we went. Uh, we were going to go to a restaurant for a pizza, and the guy was like. We have to get everybody out of here. Tornadoes, and we got to. Wow. He closed his restaurant, but we got pizzas to go. So pizzas. we came back over here, and mm-hmm. like you said, <laughs> five mm-hmm. minutes ago, man. Oh yeah, and look at that, and power gone again. So I guess it's me, all alone, naturally. So I hope you guys are ready to have some fun, and I hope you're ready to get your drink on because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stumbling and bumbling as. Some of these stories, it'll be the first time I'll be looking at them. God knows what's in store since the boys send over their stories to me to queue up and edit out. We're in for a fun ride, but let's get to it. Today is a pretty big day in history, folks. I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but the great Egyptian discovery took place today. They found King Tut's tomb. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but on November 4th, 1922, 100 years ago today, archaeologist Howard Carter and his team discovered the entrance to a tomb in the Valley of the Kings in Luxor, Egypt. Three weeks later, on November 26th, Carter smashed a hole into the stone wall in an underground hallway there. As he aimed his flashlight into the darkness, his friend and sponsor, George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, asked if he could see anything. Oh, he could see stuff. Yes, wonderful things, he replied, according to his book, The Discovery of the Tomb of Tutankhamun, written by Arthur Cruttenden Mace in 1923. Suddenly, the world became transfixed on a little-known pharaoh, of the 18th dynasty as gold, jewelry, and other fantastic treasures saw the light of day for the first time in more than 3,000 years. Almost as quickly, public attention shifted to the possibility of a curse plaguing all those who had entered King Tut's tomb. 
sudden deaths occurred. Grievous misfortune and other inexplicable events gave way to speculate speculation. There we go. There's two shots right there, my friends, that an evil spell was afflicting anyone who dared defile the Pharaoh's final resting place. A media frenzy descended on Lux Luxor after each calamity. Shortly after the first archaeological death, a few months following the tomb's discovery, newspaper headlines blared out about the curse of the pharaohs and claimed famous spiritualists seize occult reasons for the fatalities. It is absolutely crazy. But was there really a curse? Some studies suggest a more mundane explanation, mold found on the mummies and in the air at the burial sites in Egypt. Belief in a mummy's curse predates the Tutankhamun discovery by more than a century. It may have originated in England in the 1820s. In 2000, Egyptologist Dominic Montserrat reported he had discovered the first mention of it in a London strip tease show, according to the British newspaper and The Independent. No curse was ever found written in the hieroglyphs at the tomb of Tutankhamun, the Egyptian king who died at age 18 or 19, around 1323 BC. His father is thought to have been the pharaoh, Akhenaten, while his mother was his father's sister, according to DNA testing. King Tut had a club foot and scoliosis possibly caused by the tradition of incest among the royal family. Well, you want to keep that bloodline clean, right? Just straight up clean. Carter himself dismissed the notion of a curse as nothing more than Tommy Rot. Tommy Rot, I like that. The sentiment of the Egyptologist is not one of fear, but of respect and awe. Entirely opposed to foolish superstitions, he said, according to H.V.F. Winstone in his book, Howard Carter and the Discovery of the Tomb of Tutankhamun. However, Lord Carnivon's death in April that year of 1923 suddenly brought things into light and perspective started to shine a, a dark dark light into a dark dark atmosphere it appears now less than five months after that tomb was opened it drove rumors of this wicked spell newspaper accounts were rife with the possibility as more archaeologists and explorers fell ill and died in 1926, the New York Daily News ran an article with the headline, Vengeance of King Tut is Seen as Death List Mounts. Piling on was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of the popular Sherlock Holmes stories. Upon learning of his friend's death, Doyle, a known spiritualist, told a reporter an evil elemental may have caused Lord Carnarvon's fatal illness. Now, after the Earl died, others followed, including George J. Gould, an American financier who succumbed to pneumonia shortly after visiting the tomb in 1923, Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, who perished soon after X-raying the mummy in London, and then James Henry Breasted, an American archaeologist who lived until 1935 but died of a strange infection following his trip to Egypt. Now, in addition, the media frenzy fed off a series of unfortunate events that beset others who had visited the tomb. British archaeologist Hugh Evelyn White, who worked on the dig at Luxor, died by suicide in 1924. He reportedly left a note in which he wrote, I have succumbed to a curse. Carter's personal secretary, Richard Bethel, the first person to actually enter the tomb behind his employer, was found smothered to death at his London's Men Club in 1929. 
Some historians believe he was murdered by Aleister Crowley, an English occultist. Carter died in 1939, a full 17 years after the discovery, and he died of Hodgkin's disease, a type of lymphatic cancer. And yet newspapers around the world focused almost exclusively on the curse of the pharaohs when printing his obituary. Today, science has a more rational explanation. Studies have shown that an organic source might have actually been a contributing factor in at least some of the deaths, like common mold, especially aspergillus, may have been present on King Tut's mummy. The fungus is known to cause serious infections in people with weakened immune systems. Potentially harmful fungi survive for extreme lengths of times in tombs, and results of research indicate that such prolonged phases of dormancy can result in an increased virulence, wrote English doctors Sheriff El Tawil and Tariq El Tawil in a letter to the British medical journal, The Lancet, in the year 2003. The death of Lord Carnarvon, who was sickly most of his life and prone to upper respiratory ailments, seems to fit this diagnosis. According to his obituary in the New York Times, he died on April 5, 1923, of pneumonia, brought on by blood poisoning from a mosquito bite on his cheek, and that became infected after he nicked it with a razor. The Eltowils wrote that he had likely been exposed to this fungus, which in turn caused the deadly streptococcus infection that killed him after he cut himself with a razor. Now, spores of this deadly fungus, the Eltowils wrote, grow especially well on grain the supply of which was abundant in Tutankhamun's tomb. With offerings of bread and raw grains stored in numerous baskets, Lord Carnarvon could have readily inhaled contaminated grain dust as the sealed tomb was broken into. Now, more recent scientific studies have found two varieties of this fungus, and uh, they found them on mummies and in tombs of ancient Egypt, according to the National Geographic. These strains can cause various allergic reactions, ranging from chest congestion to pulmonary hemorrhaging or bleeding in the lungs. That mold might have had a hand in the Earl's death or any others. It's speculative. Researchers have argued for and against the idea for years without conclusive evidence. So it'll just remain a theory, which, of course, makes the belief in the curse of the money, mummy and money even more daunting. Boy, what a time to talk about this. Hey, guys, come on out and join me. I'm going to be going to Egypt in February. We're going to go inside these pyramids. We're going to get to face the spirits of Egypt together. And I'm psyched. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to doing it. My Schraders of the Lost Ark tomb revival, and I hope that you'll be a part of it with us. We have Ascension Timeline Metaphysic Egyptologist uh, and author Tracy Ash who's going to join us. We will be there for the 100th anniversary of the opening of King Tut's tomb, which is very exciting. And we only have four spots that remain open, just four spots. So if you're interested, go check out darknessevents.com. That's darknessevents.com. And you'll be able to find out more about all the cool locations I'm going to be visiting this year. So come see me live at many different events. For more information, again, check out darknessevents.com. And if you'd like something a little closer to home, Shane Pittman and I, were going back behind bars. Old Joliet State Prison, May 5th and 6th, our Clinco de Mayo event. You can come on out and join us. There are VIP tickets, which gets you in for both nights of ghost hunting, the Q&A and everything. Or there are single day tickets still available. The VIP tickets are already half sold out. All right, let me try something now. We're going to do a little seance here. 
Mekaleka high, Mekahiney ho. Mekaleka high, Mekajambi ho. I'm calling out to the great spirits of Texas. I'm calling you through the ethereal timeline of space. And I'm calling forth the spirits of my comrades, Chachi and the paranormal detective, Greg Lawson. Hey! Hey! Guys- Holy guacamole! Wow. You didn't know I had that kind of power to transmute through time and space and draw you back in did you dave you know i had my drink ready for the show tonight then of course we lost power so i said you know what i'm gonna pull it up on my cell phone so i can listen to the show halfway through the first story i was half drunk listening to you i'm like i've got to get back here and help this guy (laughs) these poor listeners have just got to be halfway on the floor that is unlikely i didn't even pour myself a drink i gotta i gotta admit this is a daunting task all these news stories by myself i didn't pour my i was gonna drink a little bailey's tonight with everybody, a little Bailey's original Irish cream, because I'm a girl drink drunk, and we all know that. And I thought yeah. it'd be fun to have that, but I'm afraid it's going to gum up the old uh, vocal cords. And since I have to do all the heavy lifting, because you guys can't live in a state that actually can deal with weather issues, yeah. uh, let's try to get Comment. through this. Let's all right, Chachi, you have the floor. I've got your stories right. as a backup. If you suddenly <laughs> freeze and go offline, where are we going next, sir? Uh, We're going to go to an Elon Musk story. Mr. Musk has been in the news frequently uh, for what he has done or doing to Twitter, but he has quite the unique uh, Halloween outfit here. Let's see what the story's about. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. Conspiracy theorists and Christian conservatives are expressing outrage at Elon Musk over the billionaire's satanic Halloween costume. The fervor began on Monday after Musk shared two photographs of the attire a red samurai-style suit of armor to his nearly 113 million followers, just a couple more than this show. The costume, as noted by the Daily Mail, is listed as the Devil's Champion Leather Armor set, and it retails for just $7,500. Oh, not bad. My birthday is coming, guys. That would be a nice little gift to get. Uh, I'm sure he has no use for it anymore. Mm-hmm, he wore mm-hmm. the, the costume to model Heidi Klum's 21st annual Halloween party at New uh, York City's Moxie Hotel. Musk's chest plate, as seen here in the photo, which features a goat's head and an inverted cross, quickly caught the attention of conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. Numerous social media users who seem to believe that Musk's recent acquisition of Twitter is part of a global battle against evil accused the billionaire of sending the wrong signal. One person so wrote, come on, Elon Musk, we are fighting Satanists, and you chose to wear this. Hey, Others that are... one person has a name, and it's Dave Schrader, all right? Hey. <laughs> Good for you, Dave. Wow. Yeah. Exploding. I didn't, didn't write in to Elon about his costume. I think it's cool. I think it's great. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Others appear to suggest that Musk could be the Antichrist, a mm. figure ah. in the New Testament that Christians believe will yeah. attempt to lead them astray prior to the end of the world sure tell me that's not something the antichrist would wear another user greg wrote wow Hmm. interesting we spent a lot of our time texting mr musk look at it Mm -hmm. the website where the costume is sold which has a great name abracadabra nyc was even mm. inundated with fake revu- reviews. No, have a sip. I told you I was drinking before I got here. Yep, uh, I, I like it. Okay. Aimed at disparaging Musk's costume choice. His attire also caught the attention of the far-right blog The Gateway Pundit, which ironically struggled to comprehend how a supposed free speech advocate could wear a costume it deemed offensive. 
Although his take on free wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So they're bothered by the fact that that he, as a form of free speech, chose to wear something, and they don't understand why he's wearing that because it goes against their iteration of who he is. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. When I read the story the first time, I'm like, is that written properly? Oh, I see what Mm -hmm. they did there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the obsession over Musk's costume highlights how quickly conspiracy theorists can turn anyone into a villain for harmless and mundane activities, such as isn't wearing the, a hat. Isn't the concept of wearing a costume, first of all, let's revisit. The whole concept of Halloween costumes was to be an affront costume. to the fallen, right? It was to, to the scarier, more creepy the costume that you wore, you would be an affront to evil entities because the fallen, those angels, it was... It was hard for them. They could, it was so disgusting. They didn't want to see horrific things. That's why we carve turnips and pumpkins to make them into ghoulish creatures. That's why we put, that's why we put those, those statues on the corners of buildings, the gargoyles. Gargoyles. Like, like, yeah. Oh, me. Like, like that. Right. If you were something beautiful, like a fallen angel, that's looking at you. You're off, right? You're not going to be there. So the whole concept is he kind of gets it. It was Halloween. You, Halloween. You're something you're not normally. Or yeah. is he? I don't know. I don't want to stand up really. <laughs> Could be Maybe he is the Antichrist. I haven't <laughs> yes. checked the hairline for a storyline to see what's going on. Hmm. Mm. But that's not the only case of Elon Musk popping up in the news. Is oh, it a paranormal not. detective? What's it's next? not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, actor Ricky Schroeder says he sees UFOs over his home and asks Elon Musk to explain. Yeah. Speaking of uh, conspiracy theories, Elon Musk, actor Ricky Schroeder, has questions and has turned to Elon Musk in a public way via social media. He has concerns over regarding the Neuralink and its possible ties with biblical prophecy. And then he shared his concern over the sightings of strange craft he has seen in the skies. Yeah. Ricky Schroeder says he has seen UFOs flying over his Colorado property uh, a number of occasions and turned to Elon Musk for an explanation. The Silver Spoon Star 52 on Saturday posted a video on Instagram in which he explained that he has often seen unidentified flying objects and their unconventional flying patterns and characteristics while staring up at the night sky. After being left baffled by the regular sightings since moving into his property last year, the actor has asked Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk, 51, for answers. Dave, why don't you play that video? You got, you got it, Greg. Yeah. You're welcome. You know, there's an ancient text in the Bible that talks about what you're doing, developing a chip that goes in people's brains. I'll read it to you really quick. It's in Revelations chapter 13, and it says, verse 16, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark. And so there's an ancient text, you know, that I believe is referencing Neuralink, and so I was curious, you know, what you, th- what you think about that. And, and I, I looked into Neuralink a little bit, and it seems like there could be some great benefits to people that have had limitations or have handicaps 
and so I could see how it's used uh, in many ways for good. But my question to you is, is how do we ensure it's not used for bad? How do, how do you put safety protocols in place so it's not used as a further control device of us? For example, mRNA was created as a special forces application in case they had to put troops in a biological hazard or virus infested area that could ramp up a vaccine very quickly for them. It was never intended to be given to billions of people in the masses. And so they used that new technology to ramp up an experiment and then give it to billions of people. So how, how could you, you know, your Neuralink, you know, have wonderful benefits to mankind and humankind, but also then be used uh, in nefarious ways as they did with mRNA. And so it makes me very leery about, about Neuralink and your intentions with that. And now you own Twitter and there's a lot of data and a lot of people there. And it seems like there's <clears throat> opportunities for synergies between Neuralink and Twitter. And so was really wondering what you thought about all that. I wish you were here sitting around the campfire because I think you'd be a fun guy to talk to. Anyways, um, wanted to just get that off my chest. Uh, and then there's another thing. I know it's out there, but, you know, I moved to Colorado, back to Colorado a year or so ago, and I've been looking up a lot lately, folks. I sit around my fire. I sit in my new hot tub, fairly new, and I've been seeing things up in the stars, up in the sky that I can't explain. And fortunately, a couple times, people, other people were with me here and they saw it. And, um, and I was looking online for explanations. It's like, you think they're satellites on a normal trajectory, just going straight, but then they'll change trajectory or slow down or even stop. And even one turned off its lights. <laughs> these things up there they're not aircraft normal aircraft you know i'm a pilot and i haven't flown in years but i know what aircraft look like and sound like and how fast they move and what we're seeing up there is uh unexplained and so <laughs> heck mr musk maybe you know but um anyways i thought i'd share that and 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 just so you know when you verbalize those things society wants to make it sound like you're crazy or something and so that's another way to you know to find the truth because sometimes it's the exact opposite of what society says or what the programming from the stranger there tries to teach you and um so anyways i'll i'll leave that one alone i guess i don't know what they are but they move fast they can change direction and they can stop and adjust their lights. So everybody have a great Saturday. God bless. Bye Ricky. All right. What, uh, what happened? What happened there? Well, uh, Eric, your, your microphone's not working. Look, I have a thought bubble up here. Look at this. This is a thought that I'm, I'm, I'm working on. Was it, was it just uh, well, me, finish. or does he look like Daryl Hall? From a little Daryl Hallish. 
Let's yeah. finish the story. Uh, Eric, All right. uh, Greg's just got a little snippet left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, back in March, Ricky also linked the rise of the internet and other modern technologies to the Roswell incident of 1947, when it was reported that two flying discs had crashed into a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico. While uh, there have been enduring conspiracy theories that the U.S. military had encountered aliens following the crash, the Roswell Army Airfield retracted a statement that a flying disc had been recovered, saying the crashed object was just actually a conventional weather balloon. Back to you, Dave. Whether you believe it or not, balloon, that's what I want to say. Hey, listen, first of all, listen, Ricky's got some interesting thoughts. I know there's some people it's real easy to strike and and make fun of, but, you know, he has some interesting thoughts. The Neuralink concept is something that a lot of people have been talking about for a while. Um, But I remember when UPCs came out and that was the mark of the beast. Remember, everything would have to have a UPC. So that meant it was taking the mark of the beast and the, the mathematical equation of the bars always equaled 666. I never... I. I'm not mathematically inclined, so I don't know how to add that up to figure out if it's true, but it's interesting. Um, I also believe, if I remember correctly from uh, Bible scholars, the book of Revelation is really more of a book of hidden text and parables. Um, They were sending messages to one another in code, and they were talking about Nero. Nero was the Antichrist. Nero was this, and the mark that you would have to take was Nero's mark, the coins of his uh, realm and things. So there's kind of that aspect of it. So I'm not real sure, but that's according to some of the biblical scholars. They're much smarter than I am, and they rarely sit around drinking Bailey's Irish cream with their buddies on Friday nights. Suckers. Yeah. Look, I got a, mm-hmm. I got a, I don't know. Yeah. What is it's a oily hanging in the bottom fancy. Yeah, it's, it's an a, unidentified it's a, it's a, napkin object. It's a sandwich sandwich thing. What is that? Wow, I don't I'm not know. sure what happened there. All right, so interesting conversation, interesting point, but I do think it's fascinating, and I do want to say this. Um, just right into the microphone, Greg. Go for it. <laughs> whatever, whatever works. Nobody can hear that. <laughs> no, it's totally... <laughs> Anyway, oh uh, our good friend Bill Chapel lives in Colorado. He is out yeah, he literally in the middle of nowhere. His his home is like an hour from anything. And he has been telling me some strange things that have been sighted in the skies over his property and stuff as an engineer, he cannot understand or explain. So I'm not going to quickly throw Ricky Schroeder out. As a matter of fact, I sent him an email today inviting him to come on the show. I'd like to talk to him about his theories and concepts on this and belief and and I know that he was mentioning with the mRNA and the, the COVID vaccinations and shots. And Greg, you obviously were not seeing eye to eye on that. And that's fine. Everybody's allowed their perspective on this kind of thing. But interesting. No, I I, uh, I, com- I, I do subscribe to a lot of that because that was a mm-hmm. big money grab, huge money grab. Um, and, and, you know, joking around with him, I have seen in the military, I haven't seen with my eyes. I've seen with the, the instruments that we use to track uh, airborne craft mm-hmm. do things that doesn't make any sense to me. And the, it, it, yeah. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm playing around a little bit, but I, I do subscribe a little bit more to what he's talking about than I'm leading on to. Well, since you guys are in Texas and dealing with a yeah. horrific st- Um, I thought I'd share a little Texas story we're going to revisit here, ladies and gentlemen. The real story behind the 1897 Aurora incident when a UFO destroyed a windmill. 
Now, forget Roswell and the UFO that reportedly crashed there in 1947, because 50 years earlier, in 1897, the town of Aurora, Texas, may have had an unearthly visitor crash land there, taking out the local judge's windmill in the process. And according to the newspaper reports at the time, it is just possible that the alien who was piloting the ill-fated spacecraft is still in Aurora today, buried in the local cemetery. So let's examine what is known about the U.S.'s earliest reported flying saucer crash, if you don't mind. A news report that ran on April 17th, 1897 edition of the Dallas newspaper claimed that in the early morning of April 15th, a strange flying craft plummeted to earth, striking the windmill on Judge J.S. Proctor's property before breaking away and hitting the ground, destroying the judge's flower garden This occurred about six years before the Wright brothers ever flew their first plane at Kitty Hawk. So the crash could not have come from an airplane, but what was found in the wreckage was even more astonishing. This is where it gets kind of crazy, as if the rest of the story isn't already. The townspeople of Aurora flocked to see the bizarre wreckage. Among the debris, they found the remains of the craft's pilot. The body was mangled and burned, but still intact enough that the residents of Aurora could clearly see that, as the newspaper article stated, the body was not of this world. An army officer even arrived at uh, from Fort Worth, and he agreed that the body was that of an alien being, quite possibly, he concluded, a Martian. Hmm. Now, the debris from the crashed spacecraft was made of a strange metal that was unfamiliar to the people of Aurora. It was described as looking like a blend of silver and aluminum but much heavier. Mm. In the spacecraft and on the pilot's person, the townspeople found paper-like artifacts with hieroglyphic writing on them. Sounds a lot like the balsa beams that they claimed had that, that, that scotch tape with some kind of hieroglyphs on it from the Roswell. That's right. Yeah. Now this is interesting. The good folks of Aurora, you know, they weren't quite so sure what to do next. So they did the only thing they thought was fitting They gave the alien a proper Christian burial at a local cemetery. The historical records of the Aurora Cemetery even contain information about the funeral. The gravesite was marked with nothing more than just a crude rock. Let's see if I can pull up a picture of that. Let's see. There we go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Marked with just a crude rock. There was no dumpsters or recycling centers in 1897, so the people of Aurora disposed of the wreckage the same way they disposed of much of their discarded items. They threw them in a well. Well, years later, in 1935, Brawley Oates, the new owner of the land, decided to clear out the debris from the well so it could again be used as a source of water. He spent long hours cleaning out the well. Later, he developed a severe case of arthritis that left his hands deformed, knotted, and twisted. Oates believed that the water in the well had become contaminated by the alien wreckage. He filled the well in with concrete and built a shed on top of it. The gravesite of the unknown pilot was marked with a rock, and its location in the cemetery was common knowledge among the people of Aurora. Kids would stop by to see it and speculate about the spaceman buried below. And in the early 70s, someone took a metal detector over the grave. The readings indicated that at least three large chunks of metal were buried with the pilot. Within a few years, however, the alien's headstone was missing. Then someone discovered a metal pipe protruding from the ground at the gravesite. The pipe was removed and the site was metal detected again. This time, there were no hits for metal buried beneath. 
it seems as though the grave was robbed by someone or a group of some people. Of course, much of the unknowns about the Aurora spaceship crash uh, could be cleared up by the exhuming the pilot's body, presuming it hasn't already been stolen along with the metal objects from the grave. But that's not quite permitted, though. The Aurora Cemetery Association has adamantly denied every request to exhume the grave. As for the well, it's been tested in modern times. The tests reveal a high level of aluminum, but nothing else out of the ordinary. For now, all researchers have to go on is the eyewitness testimonies that appeared in the local newspapers. Now, you guys live in Texas, and I know this is a story that would have caught your attention, Greg Loss and the Paranormal Detective. What do you make of the Aurora UFO crash? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff I make of the uh, Aurora UFO crash. Um, I, it, if you look at that amount of time right around those years, there was quite a few different type of airships that were being seen that people didn't mm -hmm. know what they were. So you have that, you know, were, were these uh, some sort of uh, experimental um, hydrogen kind of balloons and they were using some sort of metallic uh casing or something for them and using aluminum or whatever. And then there is uh, Aurora wasn't doing so good then. And hmm. uh, they really needed a, an infusion of money. So it's always good to have a spaceship crash in your uh, neighborhood because everybody will come to look at it and then they'll buy lunch and gasoline and stay at your hotel. So that's a good one. Uh, however, me personally, mm -hmm. um, I find it incredibly interesting uh, that they took the body and buried it. And, you know, as you know, that's something that I'm very interested in as far as uh, forensic science and how great would that be to be able to locate that and exhume that and get some of that material and test it to see, you know, was the deformity of this guy just because he was burned to death in a hydrogen fire uh, or was that's it true. something else? Yeah, because it, that's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. That's that's one I, of the know, really good stories because we do know that we have multiple people that saw it, multiple sightings. We have physical evidence of damage. We have good testimony of a judge saying, hey, freaking destroyed my flower garden here. Um, you know, it's good stuff. It's um, interesting because they talk about the metal, the aluminum tinfoil-like metal, but it's more strong, more durable. I've always been, I've always questioned that the, the metal memory stuff um, that was part of the story in Roswell, right. that they could crumple the piece up in their hand and let it go. And it would unfold itself and completely smooth out. But and then you I also, apologize. Yeah. Oh, wait real quick. I apologize because I wish I could remember who it was. Uh, somebody I've spoken to in the past showed up at one of the conventions and handed me a little envelope and their dental pieces and they're like, these are the wires that we use in dentistry. I believe is what she was saying. I could be wrong. Email me with the right story if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but one of the pieces of metal is this memory metal. And she crumpled it up in front of me and held it in her hand. And with the heat of her, her hand, it slowly unfolded itself and went right back to its original shape. So it went from this horseshoe shape into this mangled ball of twisted metal and then totally unfolded and flattened yeah. out and went right back to its normal shape. So I've now seen that metal for myself. That's crazy. That's an interesting, yeah. and I, I've got the envelope with the, the chemical properties on it, and I should bring it down and show it sometime. So if any of you out there know what this piece of metal is I'm talking about, email me, Dave at Paranormal60.com. That's Dave at Paranormal60.com, because I'd love to uh, know a little bit more about it. And uh, 
there are a lot of things, you know, Ricky uh, Schroeder brought up the fact that a lot of things changed after the Roswell UFO crash and technology did take kind of an interesting jump and leap there, Greg. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, and the funny thing is, is you look at the different testimonies of the people uh, that were really actually involved at Roswell. You have mm-hmm. some people saying there's memory metal, you could crutch it and, uh, and, and it would go right back to its other shape. And then other people testified on the same metal that they couldn't damage it at all. They took a sledgehammer yeah. and tried to do it and didn't damage it. like, all right, which one is it? Can you just crumple it up in your hand and it comes back or is it, so tough that you can't damage it with the sledgehammer. We talking about the same stuff. We talk about right. different stuff. So it's just, you know, but that's, it's lost to time. You know, somebody has that stuff though. It's somewhere. Yep. So and time is slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Eric, you had a quick point you wanted to make a, a quick question, right? So what is the law? Does anybody know around excavating bodies that are that old? Like I understand recent deaths and such like that, but we're talking 125, 150 years ago. Why can't we esca- excavate? Wow, I'm not even reading. Yes, yeah. why can't we excavate it? Well, because it's, it's still a private. It's still a private um, plot that's owned, right? It's still right. A, yeah, uh, a working you, cemetery. If you had a good reason, if you had a good legal reason to do it, um, it you know you'd you'd draft up your paperwork and and submit it, and a judge would say, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, and there, there would be stipulations as far as, you know, replacing it and being respectful and all that. Um, so like we could this- say that we're concerned our friend, the Colonel was in Aurora, Texas visiting. I believe he was. Has vanished. I believe he was. And the last he told us was he was walking around in the cemetery. We need to excavate to see if we can find his body. That would help. Would that help? That would help. He said he saw some sort of strange rock. Yeah. Last thing he saw was a strange rock. There was no known relatives to that the body. alien correct so yeah. i mean there's there's nobody to go and ask this to your point why not do it but it's yeah. the people that own the property it's the yeah. the the cemetery is owned i'll tell you what yeah, Eric, yeah yeah let's you guys go, should go let's just go yeah. we'll It'll, it's just it's just north of uh, dallas <laughs> Yeah, don't do it right now. There's bad weather. Oh, not now? Okay, I'll wait. Uh, We have to get to this next story because we've got to take a break in a few seconds. And then we've got a brand new Paris share you guys are going to love coming up in a little bit. All right, Greg, you're uh, you're up. Oh, I am. Hey, Mm -hmm. let me uh, grab my stuff so I can see it. Uh, Something about scientists. Yeah, Um, good. After after we talk to uh, Ricky Schroeder there. Mm -hmm. All right, so... um, Yeah. Scientists say Earth needs to prepare for alien encounter now before it's too late. Scientists don't want us to wait and let our guards down uh, when it comes to the potential for extra... Oh, man. (laughs) Extracrestially life. Extracrestial life. Hey, hey, this Uh, word, at least I understand. You should have heard him before we got on the show. He couldn't say Ricky Schroeder. Rickery Schroeder. Rickery Schroeder. (laughs) <laughs> i was Rick, i was doing uh, uh show prep lines oh yeah all right come no on. <laughs> dave come on what? extraterrestrial life mm-hmm. a new group at the university of saint andrews in scotland wants to put together a plan for what to do if we encounter aliens here on earth with help from experts from across the world they will be putting together robust protocols and treaties as well as assessing any evidence of intelligent civilizations. 
their preparatory work will take place at a new research hub at the university dedicated to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI. Science fiction is awash with uh, explorations of impact, explorations of the impact on human society following discovery and encounters with life and intelligence elsewhere, said Dr. You sound like you're boring John yourself Elliott. with this story, Craig. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's like halfway through the paragraph, you're already thinking about that pizza in the other room. Oh, okay. Right. okay. I thought I heard him snoring. Let, let me push through here. All right. So yeah. a computer scientist and coordinator with SETI post-detection hub, but we need to go beyond thinking about the impact to humanity. Uh, he added, we need to coordinate our expert knowledge, not only for assessing evidence, but also for considering the human social response as our understanding progresses and what we know and what we don't know is communicated. And the time to do this is now. Scanning signals for assumed extraterrestrial origin for structures of language and attaching meaning is an elaborate and time-consuming process during which our knowledge will be advanced in many steps as we learn, ex as we learn the extraterrestrial language. The group feels that limited attention has... <laughs> limited attention? What? <laughs> that limited... Attention, Attention. Yeah. has been given to consequences on society if alien intelligence is detected. While the United Nations has possessed and has treaties established with the threat of asteroid impact, nothing similar is in place for extraterrestrial life. The SETI post-detection hub provides the first permanent home for developing a comprehensive framework for what happens after an alien radio signal is picked up. Scientists will manage the full process of searching for evidence, confirming detections, and their analysis and interpretation of language patterns and managing the potential response. Yeah. I think we need to end it right there. Nope. No, okay. What, what, they will, what? Why do I have a feeling Dave is kind of hoping we lose power again? <laughs> I, th I thought we'd just listen uh, to Greg do that right now. <laughs> oh, all right, right, let's. I'm just uh, trying to keep up with the number three. Right. I don't even know. Yeah. All right. Come on. Continue. Oh, uh, I'm going? Okay. Uh, they will work uh, with academics in the, scientists, uh, in the sciences and humanities, as well as members of the SETI community. They will also coordinate with experts on policy and message decipherment. Uh, data analytics, space, space law. Hey, get some space law. And uh, regu regulation development and societal regulation, impact huh? yeah. strategies to help yeah. close the policy gap, Dr. Elliott said. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's that last part? Uh, will uh, we ever get a message from ET? We don't know. We also don't know when it's going to happen. But... We do know that we can't afford to be ill-prepared, scientifically, socially, and politically rudderless for an event yeah. that could turn our uh, reality as early as tomorrow and which we cannot afford to mismanage. Thank That's you. Right. Thank you very, very much. Very nice. Hey, good job. Do you guys remember this? A Coors Man. ad from E.T. No. If I you go know. beyond your limit, please don't drive. Phone home. I do Coors. not remember that. 
for the holidays. Coors for the holidays. All right. Uh, Believe it or not, folks, we are at that time of the show when you can go fill up your glasses again, take a deep breath, and uh, we'll be back with more right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Oh, yeah, we are back. And, guys, I'm pretty excited. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. And one of the most famous ghosts, if I mention Chicago ghost, do either one of you know who would be considered the most famous of all of the Chicago and spirits? Portillo? No, no, that's one of the most delicious restaurants. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? I do not know. Bueller. No. Bueller's Bueller. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the guy with the machine gun? I don't know. Yeah, not him. Kelly? Not him either. No. Oh, God. Hey, folks. It's time now for Paratunes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sit back, relax, and unwind as we hear the ballad of Resurrection Mary. Yeah. I met her at a dance. I remember she was very cold. So strangely beautiful, I swept her up to carry her home. Resurrection Mary, wander from your cemetery. I'm not 
relations. There yeah. you have it. That is that was the cool. of Resurrection Mary. Now, for those of you that don't know about Resurrection Mary, this is a crazy, amazing story. Um, and this, this woman was seen. She's been seen. She's gone in and out of a couple of haunted locations. I think the Willowbrook Ballroom. Um, she's been into Chet's Melody Lounge. Uh, people have witnessed her walking along the street. She's always hitchhiking. She's dressed in kind of a white dress. Just go ahead and finish drinking. We'll just, uh, you know, that mute button that you, uh, you've got. Oh here? God! Let me let me help you with that. Here we go. This That'll is uh, much better. Oh yeah. Uh, so here's uh, here's what happens. Resurrection Mary is seen. She's hitchhiking. She gets picked up. They drive past the cemetery. She vanishes. And there are stories of her dancing with people, and the boys kind of fall in love with her, and she promises to get back in touch with them and then vanishes. So it's a really cool, compelling story, but it ends with a really compelling piece of evidence. And I'm going to unmute the paranormal detective as yes. long as he learns courtesy and stops slurping like a I sow when I'm trying to talk trying here. To, trying to help. Uh, so here's an image. Let me show this to you. So there was a story. The police got a call that night. There was a girl seen in a white dress running through the cemetery. They'd gotten calls like this all, all the time. As a matter of fact, the mausoleum, one of the big mausoleums at Resurrection Cemetery, the lights go on inside and they're motion activated. The organ will begin playing by itself at night. So very strange stuff. But the weirdest piece of evidence was that there are brass bars that surround the entire cemetery. When the police got there, they couldn't find the woman, but when they panned their headlight past some of the bars, they noticed something very distressing. Two of the bars had been bent apart. Little handprints had been scorched into the metal. And a photograph actually exists. You can see the handprints. You can see it, and it's bowed out and bent. I had another picture. I'm trying to see if I can find it here so I can bring it on, but I can't... Uh... For some reason, I don't think it's saved properly. Um, it's a shame because it was another crazy one. Uh, lots of weird stuff, but you, a woman was pointing to it. But they said that the amount of heat somebody would have to be at to grab it, burn their handprints, and there are, there are ridges, fingerprints in that burnt metal that, that they barred it. Well, that caused so much commotion that they eventually had to come cut those pieces of bars out and replace them because so many people stopped to look at this. But to me, that's always one of the prime ghost stories of Chicago. Yeah. And it's an amazing yeah. piece of history because there is that piece of evidence that exists. And um, Richard Crow, the famous Chicago ghost hunter, had tried for years to get those bars. And I'm not sure if he ever did before he passed away. But so that's that's why I love that song. And I was so happy that I was able to find it and share it with you all right, so Eric, we've got a story, and you're uh -oh. telling me it didn't come through for you. Do you yep. need me to cover this one? Uh, yeah, if you could. Yeah, all right, I will. 
Uh, so we're unfortunately, Eric doesn't have another story for a little bit here. So I'm going to jump into this one. This is one that Eric had actually sent to me. And uh, pretty interesting as we're talking about ghosts. Villa Carpina, the owners of this Italian mansion say it's haunted by Mussolini family ghosts. Showcasing fascist dictator Benito Mussolini's military uniform, his beloved motorbike, an iron cradle, and a spooky bedroom mirror, Villa Carpina is clearly a museum unafraid of the dark side of history. Located in Carpina, a tiny district in the city of Fulori, the property is rumored to be haunted by several ghosts of the Mussolini family, the late Italian leader included, and locals claim to have proof as well. Stacked with all sorts of personal objects and artworks that belong to the family, Villa Carpina was the Mussolini family's country retreat. Today, the Liberty-style yellowish mansion, also called the House of Memories, lures history buffs and scare-seekers alike. Since it was purchased by an Italian businessman in 2000, its new owners and other invited guests claim to have experienced intense paranormal activities and supernatural happenings, some of which a team of self-proclaimed Ghostbusters say it witnessed and was able to record. This place is alive with their presence. They're all still here, and we can feel them. They're constantly watching us, said Domenico Morassini, direct uh, current owner and operator of Villa Carpina with his wife. I feel they respect us. We are not afraid, but we don't want to disturb these spirits. So I avoid entering the villa whenever it's nighttime. Got to like that little healthy fear. Hmm. The couple who live in an adjacent new building on the mansion's estate spent years on a global scavenger hunt trying to track down and recover lost original pieces that once belonged to the Mussolini family, which they've used to furnish the villa. Italian interest in Mussolini, who held his country in thrall from 1922 to 1943 until Italy's World War II failures led him to being overthrown and arrested, has intensified in recent years. While many continue to condemn his fascist legacy, he remains a figure of fascination, for better or worse. After purchasing one of Mussolini's historical uniforms at an auction in the United States, Morosini says he took it back to the mansion, spreading it out on the bed Mussolini shared with his wife, Donna Rachel, the same bed in which she died. That day, there was a medium with us. That person felt sick, had to sit down and whispered, he's here. Straight after, the dark shadow of Mussolini's face appeared in the bedroom vanity mirror and has been there ever since, as if it were printed on the glass, more than just a mere reflection. Tourists on guided tours of the villa are invited to peer into the shadowy face to get a glimpse of the distinctive square jaw, high forehead, and prominent nose of the infamous dictator, who was executed as he tried to flee the country with his girlfriend in the final days of World War II in 1945. Morsini says he has witnessed other eerie events, too. I've heard gusts of strong wind inside the villa during the day and noises of footsteps along the corridors. After Morsini bought the place, he says weird things started to happen. Word rapidly spread that the estate was haunted, luring the curiosity of professionals who specialize in the paranormal. And in 2013, a bunch of Ghostbusters asked to visit and reportedly stayed overnight, claiming to have captured disquieting events that happened in the night. We recorded on tape what sounded like a feeble voice of a woman. When we played it, the old villa keeper freaked out and jumped from his chair, whispering that he had recognized the voice of that of Rochelle, says Andrea Pulagiz of Ghost Hunter Padova, a group of Italian paranormal investigators. Then there was the noise of a plane that was also recorded, 
says Pugliese, noting that it could have been linked to Mussolini's son Bruno, who was an aviator and died prematurely in a plane crash in 1941. When the ghost hunter team arrived and started setting up their equipment, he says he perceived a vibe of hostility as if they were not welcome. But in the evening, the ambiance changed and became less tense. Pugliese prefers not to talk about ghosts, but rather of anomalies and presences that are all still attached to the house where they experienced happy moments and do not want to abandon it. They've remained tied to that past far from atrocious things. And it's no secret that Rochelle herself, an esoteric woman who held seances and kept salt pots in the house to ward off evil, says Pulagis. Morissini confesses that after allowing the Ghostbusters inside the villa, he felt sick for an entire year, noting it struck him only much later that the spirits may have been ha unhappy about the intrusion. All right, so there you go. I got through most of that speaking Italian and Russian stuff. Pugalese. Very barely bumpled, bumpled it up, yeah. You did oh, yeah. good. You, you, you go ahead and try to correct me, Greg. Go ahead. <laughs> Rickerly Schroeder. Rick, Rickerly Schroeder. Now's oh, not the God. time, Greg. Not the time. Yeah. Uh, points in your life you can take a stand. And this, my friend, uh, would not be one of those times. Damn it. Yeah, I know. Hey, man, I don't make the rules. I just abide by them. Yeah. Wow. What was that? For those of our listeners, did that come from your mouth, Greg? Ah, just I'm trying to breathe, man. Yeah. Just try it. Try it. All right. We've got a, an interesting set of stories of near death experiences. A woman that came hey. back from the dead reveals what the afterlife is like and says, I want to go back. The truth behind what happens after we die is really the final mystery. We've tried to figure out now while we're alive, hoping the answer would give us control over not how we die, but when we die. However, no one can cheat death, prepare for it, or predict it. For now, the only intel we have is from people who have experienced near-death situations. Some describe it as a bright light, voices, or seeing their own dead bodies. But what Jesse Sawyer and Betty Eddy saw after they both died is a detailed description of the events that follow death in the afterlife. Here's what they saw before being brought back to life. We tend to think of Death is a gloomy, scary event that brings nothing but grief. We perceive it in an ending to a life, as we know, rather than the beginning to a new one. That's because we tend to fear that which we don't know or understand. Since we're not allowed on the other side if we're not the ones dying, we tend to grieve the absence of those who do. Are one of you having a breathing issue? You know, it's not me. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He is like a five-year-old sipping his milk out of his cup. Deep <laughs> breathing at the funeral. I'm getting all a right. sippy cup next week. You should. Let's see if we can help that out. In fact, uh, how, uh, death doesn't have to be sad, according to Betty Eddy's account of uh, life after death. Death brings perspective and a new sense of happiness. She thought the experience of dying was so nice that she would quite happily die again tomorrow. Now, the information that Betty brings about the afterlife is one that aligns with science. Numerous studies have found that the experience of passing over is conscious and that our mind actually knows that we've died, even after our physical bodies are declared clinically dead. It takes some time for the spirit to leave after the time of death. Betty, who is now 78, had her afterlife experience after a hysterectomy operation. She remembers being fully aware of the fact that she was dead as it was happening. Now, she describes, I was in the recovery room and suddenly felt every drop of blood that I had drained. My body then had the sensation of my spirit coming out of the body at tremendous speed. I looked down and I saw my body lying on the bed. 
I knew I had died, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm dead, Betty said. And then she saw three really ancient men who confirmed to her that she had, in fact, died. Perhaps one of the most fascinating recollections from Betty's experience was her ability to leave her body and fly around. She floated out into the world. Betty's priority was seeing her family. She remembers how she flew out the window and found her way home. There she saw her husband sitting in the armchair. I stood next to him. I was concerned because he didn't know I had died, nor had my children, and I was worried for all of them. What Betty describes can be interpreted as astral projection, a term also used to describe the act of leaving our bodies while sleeping. This intentional out-of-body experience allows consciousness to function separately from the physical body and travel throughout the astral plane. Now, Betty's experience was full of revelations. Although she knew that her husband was not yet aware of her death, she didn't feel concerned, she explains. I was given a glimpse into their futures and saw that they would all live good, happy lives. Luckily, Betty wouldn't need to find out how her family would live on without her. As she flew her way back to her hospital bed, she went into a tunnel and into a black space. The darkness didn't scare her. Instead, she felt extremely relaxed and comfortable. As she made her way through the tunnel, she remembers seeing a figure she identified as Jesus Christ. She said, he hugged me and said, it's not your time yet. Now, upon meeting Jesus, the whole world seemed to make sense. Betty describes being given the answers to the universe at large. She explains, then three women, angels, appeared, and Jesus told them, show her everything she needs to know. And I was taken to the most beautiful garden I'd ever seen, like nothing I'd ever seen on earth. The angels then took me around every planet, and then Jesus told me I had to go back to earth, but I didn't want to. Then the most beautiful man I'd ever seen appeared, and it was God. He told me I had to go back, and I saw my body, and I went back to it. Despite wanting to remain in the afterlife, Betty figured she would be back again one day. Her experience may be hard to believe, but when she told her doctor about it five years later, he confirmed that she was dead during that time. Betty's experience of the afterlife is shared and validated by Jesse Sawyer, a mom of two who died at age 31 after being rushed into a hospital with internal bleeding from a gynecological procedure. The circumstances of her death were themselves scary to experience, but looking back, Jesse says that she doesn't fear death. Jesse said, if you'd have told me 10 years ago I would have a near-death experience, I wouldn't have believed you. I don't even believe in God. However, after her afterlife finding, she gained a new perspective. I have no fear of dying now. I, I could die right now, and I'd be perfectly okay with it. The good thing about our world is that everything within it is temporary. It's unclear if that's the case in the afterlife, but in our world, this means that even death and grief are bound to pass. Just like Betty, Jesse said that she then saw how her death had affected her husband and two children. I was shown how my death would impact my family, that my two children, although grief-stricken, would grow up and have good lives, she said. Luckily, her death didn't last, and Jesse saw herself fall back into her body. And that's the part that hurt. Jesse also shared her experience with her doctor, who explained that she was walking the line between life and death there. Near-death experiences are known to share many similar traits and stories, but we have no proof or guarantee over what exactly waits for us on the other side. For now, all we can do is live in the world to the best of our abilities, making every moment count before it fleets. So there you go, a couple of interesting stories, and I like the fact that both of them had encounters with the G.O.D., right? Interesting. For people that are atheistic, non-believers, to have this 
kind of coming to Jesus literally. That's that's amazing. Let me uh, unmute Greg so he. I can... like it. <laughs> Glad I unmuted for that. All right, Greg, we are near the end oh. of our night. You've yeah. got a story to share with us now. This I do. One, let's let's. Uh, I like. Let's try and make it quick. Okay, it's a good one. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll push through this one. Paranormal activity mm-hmm. cited as reason why man was driving without tires. Florida <laughs> cop says, yeah, uh-huh. an SUV uh, missing two tires was stopped along Florida's Interstate 75, and the driver says paranormal activity was behind the disappearance. The Marion County Sheriff's Office reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened, he said, because someone put a curse on him, according oh. to an October 28th news release. The sure. traffic stop occurred around 4 a.m. Sunday, October 23rd, about 65 miles northwest of Orlando. Deputy Wilson noticed that there were tires, uh, that that uh, the tires were not only deflated, but they were missing. Well, he was driving on the remaining of the rims, the sheriff's wow. office said. When the deputy asked about the damage to the vehicle, the driver stated that someone had put a curse on him and that he hit a curb a little hard. Uh, the driver who lives <laughs> wait a minute, in Tampa. Wait a minute. I'm not a car guy, but gentlemen, uh, how hard uh, how hard do you have to hit a curb to have your two back tires launch hey, off? Hey, man, I I, uh, I was driving in uh, in England, driving a Vauxhall. That was more of a rhetorical a question. Really, really hard. All right. So anyway, story, if you don't mind. Right. Yeah, the, uh, the, the driver <laughs> who lives in Tampa said the mishap led to a – uh, a do or die choice mm-hmm. drive home with some uh, uh w- without his tires uh and uh and uh without what does it say drive Just home say the words without tires That's all you have to do yeah. or set the suv on fire and sleep in the medium i don't know according to the body <laughs> wait no those are he, I love that he came up that those are the two options yeah those drive are those are his two with no tires yeah. or set it on fire and set sleep on, on a median yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, so, uh, medium. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I, I prefer that. Uh, yeah. Somebody put a curse on me, the driver said. That is paranormal activity. Uh, suspecting other kinds of spirits may be involved, deputies asked the 29-year-old driver to submit to some sobriety tests. He agreed but became increasingly agitated, spitting on deputies, threatening to attack them, uh, kicking and trying to take the deputy's taser from its holster, the sheriff's office said. If you mess with me right now, let me tell you something. I'm going to break your head with a baseball bat. Uh, yeah, the driver is heard telling the deputy, I'm going to skin you alive. Deputies arrested the driver and charged him with two counts of battery on law enforcement, resisting arrest with violence, attempt to deprive an officer of means of protection or communication, uh, corrupt by threat against public servants and driving under the influence. God, they just stacked the charges on this guy. Mm-hmm, He's now mm-hmm. facing up to 25 and a half years imprisonment and being held on a $27,000 bond. The sheriff's office said, welcome to jail. Wait a minute. Do you guys hear that? Dumbest news of the day. Welcome back, Florida, man. I've missed you. I know oh. we've been broken up for a while, Florida man. I know you're still hanging out with Tim and and the Beer City Bruiser, but when I saw a story with Florida man and the paranormal, 
Beautiful. I'm so glad we're back together. Beautiful. Let's all raise a glass. It'll it'll touch you in the to feels, don't it? To that to that cryptid we have all grown to know and love, Florida man. Florida man. Florida man. I think that's how you drink, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you he's the worst human on planet Earth, and I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about that Florida guy it doesn't even stand a chance against Fubar mm. over there. <laughs> All right, Eric, I, I picked up your slack for you, but son, you got one more story. And let's, let's get go, there, Eric. Come it, on, man. It's a good on. one to go home on, I think. You can do this. Is this the last of the night? It is. You have like, got, oh, ladies man. and gentlemen, the last story of the night. I, 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 I. They like those expensive effects I've got. I like that. Fancy, huh? Greg, if All you right. could just keep your glass down while I read. I'll or just, Dave, I'll mute, one of the two. This the one. Freaked yeah. me out. Yeah, this is Here crazy. Here we go. All right. A little boy claimed his newborn sibling is not his sister, and they have a DNA test to confirm it. Mm. Bringing home a newborn is always a big deal for a couple, especially mm. when they already have a child waiting at home for them, excited to meet their new brother or sister. Mm-hmm. There is always the fear of the older sibling not being nice to the new baby, and even the fear of the sibling acting out more because of the new arrival. One thing parents don't expect is the older child claiming that their newborn, in fact, is not their sibling. That is the story of Mary and Nathan who are living the American dream. They had the fairy tale wedding all couples dream of and reside in a suburban area in Washington, D.C. They got pregnant with their son, Tony, and fell head over heels for him. Early on, Tony started showing signs of incredible intelligence. When Tony was four, Mary and Nathan were expecting their next bundle of joy to bless them with their presence at any moment. Oh, look at that cute picture. Wow. Tony loved the idea and was very Mm -hmm. excited to meet his new sister. He would speak to the baby in utero, as Nirvana said, and was very loving and happy and seemed to be bonding with the unborn baby. He became very protective of his mom and unborn sibling. Mm-hmm. Then came the twist. Uh-oh. When the time came to bring their new baby daughter, Marissa, home, an excited Tony waited patiently for them to come home from the hospital. He could not wait to meet his new sister. But when they arrived, Tony told them immediately upon seeing her, that is not my baby sister. Getting a new sibling is not always the easiest transition, so Mary and Nathan thought Tony was just jealous of the new baby. It's kind of like when you brought Greg into the show. Yeah. (laughs) For weeks, Tony would not change his opinion toward his new sister. Mary thought therapy would help Tony get over his jealousy of Marissa, but Nathan Mm -hmm. had the idea of taking a DNA test. Therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nathan's reasoning was that Tony is smart and would understand the solid evidence of the test. He then reassured... Uh, I give you that one. He then reassured his wife that they would try therapy if his idea didn't work. What Nathan and Mary didn't expect was the test coming back stating that Marissa was indeed not their baby. The negative test results led to a huge investigation in the hospital. Huge. Huge. Parents of every baby born that day had to be contacted until they found the most likely child that could have been switched. Without a word, they made the change. Someone has a <laughs> laundry going off right now. 
That is my uh, new dishwasher. Yes, Congra- your, congrats on your, your new dishwasher, Dave. Is, yes. is that in your bedroom? What is that? <laughs> All right. Well, Without a word, they made the change, which was hard for everyone because they had spent time bonding with their new babies. Yeah, but of boy, course, the change tough. needed to be made. When they brought the new baby home, they were concerned with what Tony would do or say. To their delight, Tony lit up. This Look at is my little sister, he proclaimed. How That's beautiful. How Let's effed look at up him. is look that? How, how effed up is that? The four-year-old knew. Well, here's here's something crazy, right? Now, this is what intrigued me about this story. So this kid, three, four years old, when he finds out his parents are going to have a new baby, that is a new twist and the yeah. new wrinkle in the fiber. He's talking to the baby. He cuddles her yeah. tummy and rubs it. The baby comes out. He looks at it. Now, I know there's longer versions of the article. And in the longer version, he is a little bit more scientific. He does say, that baby's got blonde hair and blue eyes. We've all got dark hair and brown eyes. And that's a pretty good deal. But he was also, there was no connection to that little girl. Now, when they brought home the baby, they were still concerned because although the baby did have brown hair, she had blue eyes. Uh And they were worried Tony's going to be like, nope, try again. Uh, Lit up immediately. So do you guys think that children's spirits can communicate that way i would like to answer before greg does if you don't mind please yeah i used to not believe that and i would say over the last year 18 months as i've been more involved with you and your show and reading a hell of a lot more than i've ever done before my Dave's laughing. I read. I really do read. Yeah, that's weird. I, I am more open to that now than ever before. I, I think adults are the problem when it comes to children. Children see things. We shut them down saying it's, oh, it's pretend they're making things up. I, I do believe now that they do see things, and we tell them it's all made up. And so because of that, they, they change. Mommy and daddy tells them something. They love mommy and daddy. They want to make them happy. And, okay, it's just pretend. Hmm. I completely agree with you, Eric. There's a, that a really we should beautiful, the show. Oh. yeah, we should, but I've got a really beautiful <laughs> little sidebar story to tell you. Um, yeah. Chris Fleming was doing an investigation. This, these friends of his, I believe it were, they, they had a child, a small child, and they had a new baby. And this kid was obsessed. He was constantly on the baby, was wanting to be near the baby. So they were a little worried because they almost felt like it was an unhealthy obsession. And Chris, you know, he talked about it. He goes, hey, you've got a monitor. Just let the kid go be with the baby. See, listen, give the child a chance to speak. The little brother or the big brother crawls into the crib with the baby. And over the microphone from their their monitor, they hear him go, can you please tell me about heaven? I'm starting to forget. Yeah. See. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That is so cool. So cool. And they say that most people that are um, reincarnated will lose most of those memories by the time they hit seven to eight, nine years old in that kind of frame. Their brain is restructuring. They're they're learning new things. They're kind of pushing the past out there. You know, it was a dream. You had a dream, honey. Like you said, parents are so dismissive of it. Yeah, they are. It's amazing. What a crazy story. Tell me about heaven. I'm starting to forget. I love that story. Wow. That's yeah. powerful. Wow. Speaking of powerful, I have a quick message I want to leave people with tonight. You don't attract what you want. You attract what you believe. And I thought that was a really great, powerful statement for for wrapping up tonight's show. I just like that. I like that whole concept. And since we're launching into the end of the year, 
the death of a season, the birth of a new season as we head off, heading towards 2023. I just thought that was a beautiful little reminder. Can I ask you so, where you came across that? Uh, it was on the interwebs somewhere. Chinese yeah. fortune cookie. No, no. <laughs> just yeah, mute those, him, Dave. Uh, just mute yeah. him. <laughs> I do in here. We love him, but we need to mute him. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that is it, folks. Uh, We are done for yet another week. I hope you've enjoyed the show as much. I've missed you guys. I missed you too. It's good to have you back. On, I think. I know it's crazy because I was traveling. We pre-recorded. We went with some of the Freaky Friday episodes, but I can tell you, I'm here now through January for sure. Uh, We should be able to continue to do some live shows and and have some fun. But guys, we get the colonel uh, back next week. I think the colonel is back next week. You you'd know better than I would. He he doesn't. Uh, you're his parole officer. Fair enough. I, I don't hear from him week? as often. Live, live show? show next week. Yes. Greg, are you are you Beautiful. available for live show next week? I I believe I am. And I will just yeah. say I've been watching the comments. It's my favorite part of doing the show. I think to watching the comments. And there's been a lot of connections between the folks that have been uh, been watching tonight. And uh, I, I I can't keep up with all of them, but boy, it's been a good night. Been a good show for me. Thanks. Agreed. Well, thank you all for tuning in and spending some time with us. We hope that you all had a wonderful, safe, and happy Halloween season. And here is to a bright thanksgiving m- a month. And, guys, I turned double nickels this month. Wow. 55 on November 22nd in the year 22. It's pushing it. Wait a minute. There's a lot of magic numbers right there. Second, Let me look this yeah, up. Just put that, that on a calendar. I man. don't believe that's true. It's not in my calendar, and I go by mm, my calendar. Yeah. So. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right on that. I'll delete that real fast. All right, What's kids. Have a, have a good weekend, and we'll see you back here on Monday. And, oh, I've got an exciting show. Exciting show, The Curse of King Tut. Mark Anthony is back, and check it out. He has got so much. We're doing two shows, Monday and Tuesday. We will be back. We're going to be talking The Curse of King Tut, The Second Night, The Screaming Mummy, and more. That's next week. And you've got a brand-new episode of The Best in Paranormal News. We are your Paranormal News crew. I'm Dave. That's Eric. That's Greg. And Marty, wherever you are, peace out, brother. We'll see you soon. (laughs) 